You know, Ayla Brooke. Ayla Brooke and the Soundman, he's going to be joining us on tomorrow's show, on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk. Very excited about what? that. Well, he's been on every show. He's been on every show, but this is actually at the same time going to be his debut Oh. On the show, the frontman from Ayla Brooke and the Salmon, they've got a there's like a, a documentary coming out talking about what it's like or what it has been like to release an album uh, with high hopes and big ambitions just as a pandemic strikes like an asteroid as a pandemic hits planet Earth and changes everything with regards to live music venues and touring. And uh, but maybe people are more captive audiences and. And also maybe a talk show launches during a pandemic and starts to use your tracks as their title tracks. And who knows? Anyway, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff to talk about. And we're looking forward to getting into that tomorrow with Ayla Brooke. A good day to you. A good Wednesday. It's the 23rd of February. We're going to be talking about what's going on on the border between Russia and Ukraine today. Uh, Sarah Hoyles, editorial producer of the show, has lined up. Uh, 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 dynamite panel here two voices experts on the region out of the University of Toronto University of Alberta they're going to be joining me in about eight minutes or so from now a little bit later on in the show of course it's Wednesday so we're going to take you out to Jasper as part of my Jasper memories and we're going to meet the first male doula in Western Canada you're like what yeah kind of a cool story uh, Ali Khan Sumar went from a business analyst to a doula through the course of this pandemic, I'm going to find out what prompted his journey. And of course, you know that uh, we are among many families right now that are expecting and we're super excited about that in June. So I'm particularly interested. Sarah puts together some cool questions for me if I can't think of questions on my own. And one of these is awesome. Uh, question number four. <laughs> Shouldn't the attention be put on the person literally carrying and delivering the baby? <laughs> well... We'll find out. That's coming up in, I don't know, half an hour from now, 40 minutes from now. It's going to be a great episode. I'm checking in a quick scroll through Twitter before we start the show. You always want to make sure you're not missing anything. And there I see Adam O'Brien, the CEO of Bitcoin Well, and he puts it out there. Who in Edmonton doesn't believe in Bitcoin? He says, I'd love to have an open, polite, recorded discussion for public consumption and for entertainment and education. And then he tagged me in it. So I thought, well, I think that's the green light for us to ask everybody out of the gates on today's Real Talk. If you might be interested in a conversation like that, we know there's cynics around cryptocurrency. We know that there's people that think it's just a bunch of bros. Then there's people who think that it is a transformative technology, that it is the future. They're taking a look at the fact that El Salvador's GDP went up by 10% over the last year. And they're going, huh, what else does El Salvador have going on? Why else has El Salvador been in the headlines some of you will say that it's correlation. Some of you will say it's causation. Anyway, could make for an interesting conversation, maybe even right here on Real Talk. Feel free to reply to him on Twitter at Adam O'Brien underscore, or you can hit me up or you can send us an email anytime. Let's do this. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So usually we'd save an email like this for a little bit later in the show. I don't always read emails right out of the gates, and especially because when Bradley wrote in to us to talk at ryanjesperson.com, he said, you know, my first email to you is a positive reflections, but I don't want to wait until the next positive reflections presented by QB Energy to read this. I want to read it right now. The, the subject line, thanks from a rural doctor, a rural doc. He says, this show, this darn show, literally the only podcast I listen to. Bradley says it's a show that's born of personal passion, says I love the characters on the show, the whole team. It grounds me. 
I'm a rural Alberta physician and my empathy has been waning over the last while. And you can probably guess why. Lately, I've been thinking of so much I could say on Friday's trash talk, but listening to this awesome program has really helped me to center myself a bit more. Bradley says, I've realized I've become quite the grump during the pandemic. Maybe rightfully so, but I've been self-reflecting and trying to make a change to be more the self I was before COVID. I've been good at simply letting shit go. I try not to waste my mental energy on things I cannot change sometimes with the exception of road rage at least bradley's honest at least bradley's talking real says thankfully i've turned a new leaf over maybe or maybe rediscovered an old one i'm trying to be there for my colleagues for my patients my wife is a saint for dealing with me and has been a great support and having the three most beautiful daughters doesn't hurt either while i still don't agree with the point of view of many anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers still drive me bonkers i have come to realize i can chill and while i may disagree i can empathize with why they may be where they are my negative energy does not add anything of value says real talk grounds me the open forum for all walks of life lets me feel more in tune with many compassionate passionate and open-minded people you find quality topics and quality guests to talk about them so take my sincerest thanks i really thought I was just going to be a source of sarcastic, sardonic, and angry trash talk, and I'm proud to say that my first letter, my first correspondence, could qualify as a positive reflection. Goes on to say, by the way, I'd be open to being a guest on the show. Ooh, okay, Doc. He signs off Brad, getting a bit less grumpy every week. That is a great email, and I appreciate that email. And a big part of the reason why we get quality subject and quality guests, of course, is because Sarah Hoyles busts her hump every day as the editorial producer of this show. And she's keeping an eye on a lot of the stories that are making news. And Hoyles, we're going to be talking uh, to a couple of experts in just a quick second here about Russia, Ukraine and what's going on there. I think a bit of background here is probably a good idea as as Canada has joined uh, G7 nations and, and other significant players on the global stage in announcing uh, what I guess is a first round of economic sanctions against Russia, or at least in certain contexts. What are the details we need to know here? Well, yeah, first things first, they're not all the sanctions that are available uh, like at, at the disposal of countries such as Canada. They want to leave a little bit in the back pocket just in case things escalate further. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, U.S. has announced financial sanctions. Uh, the, interesting, the U.K., or sorry, Ukraine's president has called up reservists. So people that are 18 to 60 for a maximum service of one year. And in the meantime, Vladimir Putin has gotten approval from the upper house of parliament, a unanimous vote that uh, they can actually use military force outside the country. Okay. So, so you imagine you escalation get, you get, after escalation. you get that call as an 18 year old in Ukraine right now. That's not the, that's not the phone call you want to be getting. I've no. seen some pretty powerful news coverage of families you know, fleeing on buses, getting the hell out of there. And, and, a, and a lot of these guys that qualify or that fit into that demographic are sticking around. One guy through a translator telling a reporter, I hope this is done in a couple of weeks. But you're going, man, walking a mile in those boots right now. We'll talk to our expert voices on that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, also, of course, uh, a, a pretty significant amount uh, of our audience a decent number of our audience, of course, tunes in from Western Canada, in particular, Alberta. Uh, the throne speech yesterday, Alberta's premier uh, outlining its priorities by way of the United Conservative speech, of course, delivered by Lieutenant Governor Salma Lakani. Uh, the premier taking comments or questions later, speaking to reporters and, and had this to say about a budget that's uh, expected to look 
pretty good with regards to the bottom line. Factors include the high price of oil. But Jason Kenney doesn't want his party to leave any credit on the table, says we're not going to be in a position to potentially balance a budget just because of oil. There's a lot of speculation that we may be on track for a balanced budget and a surplus this week. If that happens, it will be, yes, in part because of uh, significant growth in non-renewable resource revenues, but it still would not be possible without the spending restraint that we've brought in. Okay, so wants everybody to know that the government has shown spending restraint, says Alberta's Premier. Also went on to say that COVID-19 has highlighted weaknesses in Canada's health care system. So, Sarah, when uh, people are going to be combing through this budget on Thursday, including reporters, but average Albertans as well, trying to make sense of it. What does that mean in the in the context of health care? People are going to want to know if, if Alberta's flush, so to speak, does that relax some pressure on what could prove to be some nasty labor disputes, as an example? I mean, what does this actually mean? Well, it looks like he intends, well, he says he's going to increase intensive care capacity, hire more nurses, but shift the uh, surgeries to private facilities. Mm. So the idea that they'll increase capacity by shifting to more private enterprises. Okay. And some implications for charter schools as well. Government says it's going to make it easier for people to open charter schools. Yeah, regulatory changes to create new and support existing charter schools. Okay, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that. And obviously later this week, budget comes out Thursday. We'll have analysis uh, on Friday and we'll get to your comments as well. We want to know where are you at? What are you looking for? What are you expecting? What does this mean in the bigger picture? If you're tuning in from Ontario, how about about Ontario's premier yesterday saying that they're not doing the license registration thing anymore, leaving about a billion dollars on the table there. I know a lot of people are saying, well, that's kind of an interesting move. So things happening budget wise, money wise across the country. A little later on in the show, we'll we'll circle back and take an eye or, or take a look rather on what's going on in some court development some court proceedings some of these organizers of this ottawa occupation uh, paying the piper now you might say and so that's a story that we'll certainly make sure that we follow before we get to our lead-off interview this morning i wanted to remind you that this is a perfect time of year though your hand, the fingertips may still be freezing as you're walking the dog and then the last thing that you're thinking about maybe is standing out there in your flip-flops and sipping on a cold one while your smoker goes. That salmon just three hours away from perfect on your brand new outdoor kitchen setup. And if you want it built by July or by August, and I'm not making the promises, by the way, these are all hypotheticals. If you want it ready for summer, you got to get in touch with the team at Eden Landscaping today. As Adam Sandler might say, today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Mike and his team will design what you're looking for. They tap into you. Some of you have like these vision boards or you have a Pinterest board that they can look at. Maybe you rip pages out of magazines. You go, I want it to look like this. They will bring your outdoor space to life. We guarantee it. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials want to remind you that they're about so much more than just quality raw food. For your dogs. I mean, obviously, it's what we feed our dogs. We've told you that. Moses and Monroe, they get different food, the two of them, customized for, you know, how their guts best operate. But there's supplements, too. You go to the Shop Now link, and you can find a list of supplements, including the ones that we give to our dogs. Monroe needs to chill out a little bit, needs to relax. She has a perfect supplement for that. And then Moses needs the joint and mobility support that comes with the Four Leaf Rover Green Eggs joint and mobility support we see it make a difference you know with the older dogs it can be tougher for them to stand up and get around moses benefits from that 
your pop could too. You can learn more at granddog.ca. Don't forget, they deliver to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Red Deer, and you'll get 10% off your first-time order at granddog.ca. Well, as mentioned, uh, tensions are uh, escalating, obviously, to say the least, uh, in the Russia-Ukraine border region, uh, two regions in Ukraine, uh, described by some as separatist regions, though we had a couple of real talkers step up yesterday and say uh, that characterization requires clarification i thought that might be a good place to kick off right now as washington is announcing sanctions canada's announcing a first round of sanctions germany britain joining in and of course the canadian government approving a deployment of canadian forces troops to latvia as part of nato's operation reassurance what's actually going on what does this mean and where is this headed Uh, Dr. Oral Brown is a professor of international relations and political science at the University of Toronto. He's a center associate of the Davis Center at Harvard University. And Dr. Vladimir Kravchenko is director of the Contemporary Ukraine Studies Program at the University of Alberta. We're grateful to have both of you joining us this morning. Uh, Dr. Brown, why don't we start with you, Dr. Brown? uh, How would you characterize these two regions, these two regions in Ukraine that appear to be obviously targeted initially by Vladimir Putin yesterday characterized them on the show as somewhat separatist regions or breakaway regions, and, and some audience members immediately pushed back and said, that's not accurate. Can you provide a bit of a scene setter for us on, on the background to this region and why this is so significant and of interest to Russia? It's not that this region per se is that important. After all, let's not forget that they uh, attacked uh, in Crimea, illegally occupied in an ex-Crimea. If Vladimir Putin said that the problem is that Ukraine is not a legitimate state, that being Ukraine is not a nationality. So the approach by the Kremlin is that all of Ukraine uh, ought to cease to exist. And what they appear to be doing is uh, uh, they are trying to get Ukraine slice by slice. So the eastern region is part of that. The separatists are largely Russian proxies. They would not exist. They would not have been able to conduct warfare, but for uh, Russia. And now Russia has come out to state formally what was known informally, and that is that they essentially control that region. Now they're going to uh, accept, they have accepted uh, they said, uh, the independence of this region, uh, regions, which is a prelude to annexation. So this is obviously troubling to the international community, and, 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 and I'm hoping that we can dig into the significance or the relevance of NATO here uh, versus individual nations. Dr. Kravchenko, is, is at this point, is, is war, is conflict inevitable? I'm afraid so, but uh, I would like to add uh, just a couple of words Please. to the analysis made by uh, my uh, uh, colleague. Um I am historian, I am not a political scientist, and uh, I am used to think retrospectively. From my point of view, what we are witnessing now is just the agony of the Soviet system and further fragmentation of the Soviet space. When you say that war is inevitable, can, can you take us into your thought process in, in, in arriving at that conclusion? What are you seeing that leads you to believe that? Uh, You know, it's really scary. Uh, My feeling is that uh, 
something terrible is growing up, is coming, and I feel completely helpless. Uh, I do remember 2014 when Mr. Putin annexed the Crimea and he launched the war in uh, eastern Ukraine, especially Ukrainian cities, Donetsk, Kharkiv, Odessa, uh, some others were targeted. Uh, but this time it's different. Everyone could monitor the escalation online, but nobody can stop it. What does this mean, uh, Dr. Brown, first of all, for the people of Ukraine? Well, it's obviously a, a grievous uh, blow to the people of Ukraine, but I would suggest it's not that we are helpless. Uh, we have resources in the West. This should not have happened. The reason why this has happened is because NATO deterrence has failed, that the leadership of uh, Mr. Biden has failed massively. Uh, Russia is not a superpower. Russia is but a remnant of a superpower. It has dominance in the region, but when you look at Russia, this is a country that uh, has a gross domestic product uh, in nominal terms, roughly that of Italy's. Uh, so you look at the NATO countries by comparison, they produce at least 15 times as much as Russia does. They have vastly greater military resources, but they have not been uh, able to come together to react and they have not had the leadership. Uh, Mr. Biden seems to be leading from behind, let's not forget, Mr. Biden was vice uh, president at the time of the Korean, sorry, of the Crimean crisis when Crimea was taken over. Uh, uh, Mr. Biden was vice president when the disastrous reset button was pressed, which encouraged Russia to believe that they can get away with things. This was following the invasion uh, of Georgia. So the reset button was, uh, button was in 2009. That uh, it was uh, under the presence of Mr. Biden that the United States had this catastrophic exit from uh, 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 Afghanistan. So the message that was sent, and sadly is being sent to an extent by United States and its allies is one of largely helplessness, NATO as a uh, feckless, helpless giant. And Mr. Putin is basically a scavenger. He looks for soft targets. And we have allowed Ukraine to be a soft target. It's it's an interesting observation to hear you say Russia is not a superpower. It's the remnant of a superpower. You don't you, you don't hear people say that all the time. And I think that the average person that, that's not a, an expert in that region or that doesn't completely understand the role of NATO or the dynamics uh, in this part of the world may not be able to wrap their mind around what the factors that led to this and then what could quell uh, potential conflict to suggest that the United States or NATO has mismanaged this to a great degree um, is also perhaps to acknowledge that that the United States would be probably the first country to intervene here. I mean, can, can we talk about the dynamic of NATO and the United States and the American interest in the region and what would prompt a meaningful military response from the U.S. and other NATO nations? Uh, Dr. Kravchenko, you want to take that one on first? Uh just a few comments, if I may. Uh, sometimes I feel like, you know, Mr. Putin is guided not by uh, real politic, but something like his inner voice, rather than rational calculation. And who can predict what he is going to do next? And uh, uh, one other remark. Uh, 
Putin doesn't want to go to war with the West. He expects a new Munich, 1938 or Yalta, 1945. And let me be frank, I'm not sure how the West would react in this long, from this long perspective. Look at Putin's friends in Europe, look at some Balkan countries, and uh, Ukraine is also vulnerable. Russia may be not a superpower compared to the United States, but Ukraine cannot stand, you know, cannot resist without Western help. And, and, and American involvement. And please correct me if I'm off on this. I mean, you may want to correct me and say NATO involvement, not American involvement. But, but as President Trump reminded everybody time and time again, NATO without the United States, in his perspective anyway, was somewhat feckless. What does this mean for the Americans and what would prompt American military response? And what does that look like? And what does that do to elevate tensions, quite frankly, around the world? Uh, Dr. Brown. Well, you know, everything in terms of would NATO need to go to war with Russia? And this is what uh, Putin has been using to try to suggest you know, we do have vast numbers of nuclear weapons, and this could escalate to a nuclear war. And would you want to risk doing that? The West doesn't want to have uh, an armed conflict. But the reality is that the Ukrainian government and the people of Ukraine have not asked NATO to fight their battles for them. What they asked for are defensive armaments so they can defend themselves. And this has been denied to them. Under the Obama administration, they were not allowed uh, to buy American armaments. Then a trickle was opened up, and under President Biden, that trickle continues instead of sending over the kind of armaments that they need to be able to inflict the damage on Russia. They do not, Ukraine does not need to be able to win a war outright with Russia. Russia has superior forces, but it needs to extract a cost, a sufficient cost that on that cost benefit calculation, and I don't buy the notion that Mr. Putin is irrational. I think he's very rational. He's a clever tactician. Uh, everywhere he went, he made a calculation which proved to be correct, that he could advance without a heavy cost. So that cost calculation has to be changed. Britain is trying to change that. Boris Johnson is sending more armaments. But look at the contrast in NATO. Germany sent 5,000 helmets. The uh, mayor of Kiev joked, what are they going to send next? Uh, pillows? Ukraine needs to be able to modernize its military. It needs to be able to offer real resistance. It needs economic help. It needs psychological links that the West reinforces that they are standing with Ukraine. So it has to be across the entire spectrum. And so far, the West has done a very poor job. Okay, so we, we've mentioned some sanctions. You've touched on them as well. Uh, Boris Johnson, PM, uh, says the uh, United Kingdom would impose fresh sanctions on Russian banks and individuals. Uh, German Chancellor Schultz has suspended certification for a natural gas pipeline uh, in response, which which I guess the West is taking the position this could scale you know, up the, this inevitable, if you might say, invasion of Ukraine next. What does this mean for Canada? I mean, you know, we, we mentioned that the prime minister committed about 450 troops, just over 450 troops as part of a NATO, um, sending them, by the way, to Latvia as part of Operation Reassurance. It's, it's 
not an insignificant number of troops, but it's it's it hardly matches what we've seen uh, as part of Russian military convoys on the way to this region. So so, uh, Dr. Kravchenko, maybe we start with you. What does this mean for Canada? What should Canadians be through which lens should Canadians be viewing or perceiving or trying to understand this story? Uh, of course, Ukraine should be grateful to Canada for any help. And uh, Ukraine and Canadian relations are of special nature, uh, taking into account uh, very vocal and influential Ukrainian community in Canada. But uh, forgive me, uh, I'm a bit skeptical. Uh, any economic and political sanctions uh, are welcome, but they are of limited influence. Russian people would enjoy that. Those on the top would not be allowed to go abroad, to travel, to educate their children in Great Britain or United States. But we cannot judge uh, uh, Russian behavior, Russian uh, country, Russian people with the same yardstick as any other European people. And uh, Putin just demonstrated uh, two days ago that uh, his attitude uh, towards Ukraine is very special, is very emotional, and uh, we can talk about it, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, everybody saw it. And uh, uh, back to Canada, uh, what can Canada do what, except what she is doing? Like I said, we are grateful to Canada. It's a great country, but uh, in terms of uh, uh, global uh, actor, Canadians' ability to help is uh, also limited. Hmm. Yeah, Putin describing that connection to that region uh, or to Ukraine in general as, as a spiritual one uh, in his impassioned speech. Dr. Brown, do you agree with the assessment there? Or uh, how do you perceive Canada's role to look over, over the next while? I would uh, assign a much greater weight to Canada than my colleague has. Uh, we are a uh, significant player in international relations, much more significant than many of us realize. We are a member of the group of G7. We are a member of NATO. We were the midwives, so to speak, for the creation of NATO. We are highly respected. So what we do has not only substantive, but it also has symbolic importance. So the fact that Canada withheld armaments from Ukraine until recently was important. That we now decided to sell defensive armaments sends a powerful message. We have a very strong interest in Canada, not just because we have a large Ukrainian diaspora, but because we are a member of NATO. We are helping to defend the Baltic states. We have troops in Latvia. We had them before and we sent more. And if you look at Vladimir Putin's demands, his demands were not only against Ukraine. Ukraine is the start of his demands. He basically was demanding the reversal of what happened in terms of NATO enlargement. He wants to have all troops from NATO, even on a rotating basis, to be withdrawn from East European states, whether it's Poland, Romania, leaving these states naked. He's also saying that you cannot allow, they would not stand for any further enlargement of NATO. Well, there are two countries that may be asking for NATO membership, which are not in Eastern Europe, but they're getting close to NATO. That is Finland, and that is Sweden. 48% of Swedes now want in NATO. Is Russia going to invade them? Canada is also facing Russia across the Arctic, where the Russians have militarized the Arctic, where they try to control Arctic routes. So we have a very powerful interest in right-sizing Russia. Russia should be respected as every other state is respected. But there's a difference between respect and deference, between having a policy of equity and fairness 
and one that rests on appeasement and endless concessions. And what Mr. Putin fears the most is not NATO. What he fears the most is democracy. His fear is that Ukraine could become a successful democracy and it would present an alternate model to the ultra-nationalistic kleptocracy that is running inside Russia. I want to ask both of you about this Al Jazeera report that uh, describes the average Russian's response uh, to Vladimir Putin's decision to recognize the republics as a negative one. Russians bemoan Putin's decision to recognize the republics. So says the report in Al Jazeera. Uh, Dr. Krevchenko, you want to take this one on first? What, what's your perception? I mean, I'm, we're asking you to characterize hundreds of millions of people here and their positions, which is a difficult, uh, if not foolhardy exercise. But the average Russian thinks this is a good idea, is a bit nervous about this, thinks that this has been a long time coming. Where do they land? I didn't see the article you just mentioned, uh, and uh, I wouldn't rely on Al Jazeera's judgment, but believe me, uh, the Russians will do what they are told to do, even though they are not supportive to uh, this or that action. Uh, did you see Putin's council uh, on Monday? Uh, all members of the council, highly uh, ranked politicians, uh, you know, generals, they were trembling. They mumbling in fear of saying the wrong thing. This is, it looks like the Stalin Politburo. I was really shocked when I saw this picture. And there is no political opposition in Russia, mm. only moral, limited to several hundred intellectuals. And did you hear anything from the Russian Orthodox Church? Something you shouldn't kill? I didn't. So I do believe that uh, uh, Russian uh civil society is not able to uh, exert any influence on uh, the decisions uh, made by only one person the Do almighty supreme leader and they will support it dr brown do you agree with that assessment i would not dismiss uh, russian civil society it is under threat and vladimir putin clearly understands that the development of civil society is something dangerous for the kind of dictatorial corrupt rule that is running. This is why opposition leaders have been attacked. Boris Nemtsov was killed. This is why Navalny was poisoned and is sitting in jail. But there are often huge demonstrations in Russia, which shows that the people of Russia, especially younger people of Russia, do not want to live in a dictatorship. But the Kremlin controls much of the media it is able to manipulate the population. Uh, it is using security services to suppress any kind of dissent. And often in dictatorships, they look strong and stable until they cease to be strong and stable and fall apart very quickly. This is the history of what happened in Eastern Europe. This is what happened in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So uh, in some ways, Putin is strong and in other ways, he's very vulnerable. He's acting with some arrogance, but he's also acting out of desperation. He knows that if Ukraine doesn't fall apart, if Ukraine becomes a successful state, a prosperous, stable democracy, this would present a danger of contamination in Russia. This would be a mortal danger. That's one of the reasons he wants to stop this. So I don't accept that there's just this kind of emotional uh, assessment by him that he just uh, doesn't want to see the breakup of the mythical Russian people. Uh, there may be certainly some beliefs. We don't know exactly 
the thinking of anyone, but going on the basis of his actions. This is also called geostrategic calculation. Mm. Mr. Putin, first and foremost, wants to stay in power. And this is why he had these constitutional changes, which allow him to stay in power just about indefinitely. That was uh, Dr. Oral Brown, professor of international relations, political science at the University of Toronto, a center associate of the Davis Center at Harvard University. Uh, Dr. Vladimir Kravchenko is director of the Contemporary Ukraine Studies Program at the University of Alberta. We have benefited from both of your insight today, and we appreciate it. Thank you for this. Thank you for having me. I know that this is uh, obviously a story that's of great interest to many people uh, for obvious reasons, but for different reasons, I think, as well. I'm just I was kind of keeping a general trying to keep an eye on our live chat as we're having this conversation. Many people are saying we've still got family in this region or my family came from there. Uh, a lot of you talking about some of the most common names back in the days of the paper, the thick paper phone book. Though I think some phone books still get delivered. You got to wonder why. It was the last time you used a phone book. I have a stack. <clears throat> they keep getting delivered to my house and I have a stack of them in my garage to start fires with. For, that's a great idea. Yes. <laughs> or for feats of strength. Yeah. Also good. Yeah. If you Except ever, they're, they're only about this thick now. Oh, that's right. So yeah. it's not it's not as much. It's not like it used to be with the power team when they could rip phone books in half. But uh, but. You know, to get serious for a second, people saying like back in the day with the paper phone books, they'd say, you, you know, if you're in central Alberta or if you're in, you know, east of Edmonton, or any, well, for that matter, anywhere near Edmonton, you know, half the book or at least some of the dominating surnames there would be Ukrainian names. This is a story that is of great interest to many Canadians and, of course, people around the world. This is a volatile region. I mean, you got the United States and Russia staring each other down. And so we'll continue to pursue understanding and insight around this from sources, excellent ones like those two and i'm grateful that they were here please feel free to share our content let people know where you're hearing these interviews and of course smash that like button if you like what you're seeing right here on real talk coming up in, in a few minutes we're going to take you out to jasper we're going to meet western canada's first male doula a little later on in the show i'm looking forward to that i have aj's email locked and loaded aj was in touch yesterday just a very short time about an hour after our group chat roundtable wrapped we talked about the Ottawa occupation and, and the dissipation of the occupation, the clearing of coots, the, the United Conservative Party's budget coming up and Jason Kenney's leadership review and, of course, the Conservative Party leadership review. And AJ had a couple of thoughts that I wanted to make sure we put out there in front of you. Uh, right now, let me remind you how proud we are to be presenting Real Talk's Wine of the Month for the month of February. It's Kendall Jackson. And if you go check out their website right now at KJ.com, you can see their KJ garden boxes. You can visit the winery. You know, it's still family owned. If you know American wines, especially, I mean, the beautiful West Coast wines, you know that Kendall Jackson is one of these legacy brands, still family owned and operated. Check out when you're on their website again, easy, kj.com, their sustainability initiatives, they're doing amazing things to leave as small a footprint as possible, including integrating solar into their bottling operation. They use a third less water than any other vineyard in the region. It's a fascinating story. They say making great wine starts with respect for the land, the community, and future generations. You can feel good about purchasing and drinking Kendall Jackson wine. You can find it anywhere you find fine wines and if you don't see it on the shelf you ask for it you let them know you heard about kendall jackson on real talk 
A big shout out to our friends at Local Waste. You know, they present Trash Talk every Friday, and I keep talking to you about how they're growing and growing and growing. Well, they're also evolving their brand to local, environmental, and a big day yesterday. Exciting news from our friends over there th- announcing that both Callahoo Waste Disposal and Meridian Waste Disposal are now a part of their growing Alberta team. You can learn more about what they're doing and what this expansion means. Obviously, of course, from a service provision side, it's big. What about from an employment side? Check out localenvironmental.ca. And congratulations from our team to theirs for their sustained and continued growth. Friesen Brothers, when you want to talk about Alberta businesses and you want to talk about family-owned businesses, you can't ignore this one. For more than 65 years, Friesen Brothers has been Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned, and family has always come first. That means putting the freshest food, convenient options, and healthy choices out there for you to put on your table. You know that the first of the month, it's coming up in less than a week, is 15% off orders or rather grocery bills of more than $75 at all 16 locations visit a Friesen Brothers in your neck of the woods and oh heads up by the way coming up on March 5th we're going to be celebrating the first birthday of Friesen Brothers Rabbit Hill store their store in South Edmonton that has just ramped up the grocery game in Alberta's capital city like you wouldn't believe really remarkable stuff Let's get to this email. AJ wrote it in about 11 a.m. Mountain Time yesterday. That was just about an hour, I guess, after our panel wrapped, an hour and a half. Uh, He says, Tuesday panel thoughts. And this was an email that caught my attention. He says, Real Talk team, thanks for putting together, as always, stellar programming, including things I disagree with but still listen to. AJ, love it. Says the panel you had on Tuesday morning, uh, Jenny Adams, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill was quite insightful, interesting to hear. As they spoke about this lack of leadership with the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, which I somewhat understand and agree with, at no point did anybody bring up Ontario's premier, Doug Ford. Like, what? Says AJ, the ambassador bridge was blocked and Ottawa sieged. You know, that was Doug's words, he says. And and the conversation around abdication of leadership was rightfully had, except it was missing a major player, the province, the provincial government. And I get that all three panelists are maybe wired conservative in their politics, and maybe I'm way too left for their liking. I don't know how Harmon would feel about being characterized. Harmon's kind of like a Harmon ran for the progressive conservatives as a candidate, but he's more heavy on the progressive than the conservative. I was about to say, he's like, he's kind of, he, he always strikes me as kind of takes that middle road. Yeah. Really sort of nice. Like he's not a lefty. No. Unless I guess in Alberta, if you are a progressive conservative, you kind of are yeah. smeared as a lefty anyway. But I digress back to AJ's email. He says, I appreciate how they represent a fairly straightforward, non-offensive view of conservatism. Disagreeable? Yes, but not offensive. Uh, that said, I'm annoyed with the entire where was Trudeau conversation. I'm not a Trudeau fan, but honestly, can we at least have this conversation about leadership while remembering where division of power exists between orders of government? Like, why are we laying blame federally when the province has a major hand to play here? Ottawa, unlike Washington, D.C., is not a district outside of provincial boundaries. The Ambassador Bridge, while a major international point of entry, is actually a bridge under provincial jurisdiction. The border crossing is federal. That's it. That was like when Joan Crockett was on the show. We kind of had that debate about whether Coots was Justin Trudeau or Jason Kenney's problem based on its proximity to the actual border. If you missed that, that was a good roundtable, too. AJ says, so, yeah, let's have a discussion of where leadership failed to show up. Absolutely. The prime minister has part of the blame to share and how late to the game he was. But to do so without acknowledging lack of leadership shown by Ontario's premier, the Ford government does nobody any favors. 
and if you loop in Ottawa's mayor says all levels of government failed miserably playing hot potato with this crisis. But thank you for having the panel on. Thank you for making me yell at my computer screen from home, making my dog wonder what on earth I'm doing for work. That from AJ. Thanks for listening while you work, AJ. We appreciate it. Every Wednesday, we fill our lungs with fresh air as best we can. Sometimes it's metaphorically. But we remind ourselves how lucky we are to have beautiful Jasper National Park right here as a crown jewel of Canada. We call it My Jasper Memories, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And sometimes we'll reflect on times that we've spent out there. Sam was just out there. My family was just out there. We love Jasper. And then sometimes we want to give you a heads up on some of the cool things that are coming up. I mean, ways that you can get involved out there. I mean, you want to really fill your lungs. What about going for a nice big run out there surrounded by this cathedral? I mean, these mountain ranges, unbelievable. This is your official heads up. Today's a great day to start training for the Jasper Half Marathon. It's coming up on April 23rd. That means that you've got two months to train, exactly two months from today. Uh, runners can kick off your spring with a scenic and cheery road race through a UNESCO World Heritage Site. I mean, there's half marathons that'll take you through the concrete jungles of some downtown major metropolis. But what about Jasper? I mean, uh, so maybe you're going, okay, yeah, sure. But I don't know, 21.1K half marathon. I'm not sure I'm up for that. Well, they've also got the 10Ks and the 5Ks, which is certainly doable. You can get your kids involved as well in the family fun run, which I know everybody always enjoys. Your entry packages include a whole bunch of things. You know, you get your short sleeve running shirt. You got to sign up before April 1st for that. You get a medal at the finish line, regardless of your time. Awards for the top three in every age group of the 21, 10 and 5K events. There's chip timing, so you know you're getting your exact time recorded and live event updates so people can follow along. Professional traffic control stations along the way, they look after you. This is top shelf from start to finish, literally post-race snacks that you want to talk about afterward, eligibility for some draw prizes, and of course, a charitable donation to the Jasper Healthcare Foundation. You can learn more by checking out our website in partnership with them. You go to jasper.travel slash real talk and you'll be able to learn more about how to sign up for the Jasper. I mean, this is coming up again, April 23rd, the Jasper Half Marathon. Circle your calendars. And, oh, and by the way, you can also view all of the other past My Jasper Memories features that we've had on here some amazing stories about the history of the national park reconciliation that's happening out there some of the natural beauty around the falls the cabin culture out there the best patios as we start to get into spring and summer and of course if you feel up to it if you're out there lucky enough to be posting photos on instagram or twitter we'd love to see them make sure you hashtag my jasper and real talk rj you never know when your posts could be featured right here on real talk a proud partner of tourism jasper well looking forward to this conversation because this is uh this is kind of real for me this is relevant uh, for me our family's expecting we shared that news with you a while ago and so i'm preparing to be a dad for the second time and my wife and i and i know that many of you are as well because by the way when we announced our pregnancy some of you chimed in and said oh my gosh the timing's the same we're on this art we're gonna have these summer babies together and i'm so excited for all of you uh, the, the calling of a doula it seems like more and more people are talking about doulas i mean maybe that's just my observation in, in my friend group i didn't even know what a doula did 10 years ago now it seems like almost everybody's hiring them 
And I'm particularly intrigued by the perspective of our next guest. Alakan Sumar is the first male doula in Western Canada through the course of the pandemic, or at least in the last little while, went from a business analyst to a doula. Pretty interesting calling here. Check this out. This post from Full Circle Birth Collective announcing he was coming on. They say we're excited to welcome him to our team as Western Canada's first cisgendered male doula to our community. Doula support for men and non-birthing partners. What a pleasure to welcome Ali Khan to the program. Thanks for making time for us. Good morning to you. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. I've got a I've got a big thing for sweaters, and I, I'm going to be honest. You've just popped up on the screen for the first time, seeing you for the first time here. I have some major sweater envy. You look like the most comfortable man in Canada right now. What took you from business analyst to doula? Was was doula on your radar? Had you always wanted to be one? I mean, what, what, tell us in, what this journey looked like for you. To be honest, actually, this wasn't on the radar in a sense that uh, this wasn't going to be like the the main gig for me for quite some time, but the pandemic changed everything. Um, you know, and, and the journey for me really started, I guess, three, three and a half years ago when, when my second one was born. And luckily enough, we had a doula for the second one. And I, man, I wish every minute that we had it for the first one, the, the experiences that we had were completely different. And that's just with someone who was just focused on my wife. Um, I mean, my wife primarily, but on both of us, but primarily her. There was nobody who was sitting there and was there making sure that I was centered in the moment. And I, you know, even though Sonia did, uh, who's my mentor, who's been on the show before, it was an incredible help. Um, I really still felt, felt like I needed someone who could be there for me, who came at it from my perspective, who could then talk to me about that. And I know that there's so many guys out there. Uh, and, you know, male presenting partners that actually want to be more involved, but just don't know how. And so that's really the pandemic hit. There was some time to really think about what was important in life and centering around my family. And I was like, I need to get into this. I've been talking about this for so long. Let's just do it now. Wow. So you're okay. So to be clear, you're not, it's not like you're a male doula or a doula, a male doula for non-birthing partners because you are a male and you are a doula. You're a, you're a, a, a doula for dudes. Basically, you know, or, or to be more inclusive, we'd say for, for men and non-birthing partners. So your role is not necessarily or never, correct me if I'm wrong, the doula for the person that's carrying the baby. Um, yeah, my, my primary uh, my primary target market is, is looking at, yeah, those men or male presenting or the non-birthing partners, the sure. people who are not actively involved in actually birthing the child. I mean, if there's a couple that wants me to do that, I will enter that field. But uh, I do not want to kind of tiptoe on the work that uh, women and doulas are doing across the province and across Canada already. That's not that's not the purpose here. The purpose here is is um, to target the other segment, yeah. and that's pri- it's really because like when you sit down and think about it, it's it's kind of like um, I call them like TSN turning points. There's always these key moments during birth where the the other partner has to ha- has to be actively involved and there's a critical point and if that partner isn't there at that critical point then the experience can change drastically and can tr- change very negatively and that uh it, c- it can affect you know how you interact with your child it can interact it affect how you interact with your partner moving forward and it has huge ramifications moving forward and so it's it's kind of one of those things that we have people who prep people for hours and hours and hours for a, a three-hour sat test why are we not prepping people to be ready for birth? That is the one of the most uh, life-changing, you know, sort of 
changing moments of your life. Sure. So, so how do you do what you do? You, you meet with the couple or you meet with individuals for months ahead of time or weeks ahead of time. Are you there in the room? Um, are you at the hospital? Are you in the home? If it's a home birth, I mean, how, how do, what is your involvement or your relationship with, with your clients look like? So the way that the relationship has been planned out right now is to first start um, like a few weeks or months before. And that is really based on what the comfort level is of um, the non-birthing partner and the couple itself. So it's really just, I want to get you there. I want to make sure that you're prepped and ready to go. And that can take, um, I don't know, it can take three sessions. It can take, you know, maybe six or seven sessions uh, with me to kind of go through that. And there's some packages that I've, I've put together for that. And then as we get closer and closer to the date, then it is about me being there either as a support over the phone or if someone wants me to be there, then then to be there. And again, my job is not to to impinge on the midwife or, you know, the OB who's who's involved or uh, if there is another doula just, you know, for the couples primarily concentrating on the, on the birthing partner is to be, I'm the person on the outside to make sure that that male or that that uh, non-birthing partner is engaged in the right way in that moment. Yeah. What, and what, so where, that can be, you know, where, where do you see that people aren't like, I mean, I mean, I would, I, there, there's something about the whole miracle of birth. I mean, there's just something about, it's just absolutely surreal. Obviously it's incredible. The whole thing is just incredible. Uh, what are you keeping an eye on with regards to the one that's not doing the heavy lifting, but the partner that's there just like, cheering or kind of doing or or completely overwhelmed or in some circumstances fainting like where where can people drop the ball and and what would be an example of something where you might go hey heads up this is a big moment <laughs> um actually i think one of the fainting moments kind of funny because i think that's a that's a presentation of the media that that's really interesting i, I it really just is like looking um if i'm going to be there in the room um, or if I'm looking at the guy over FaceTime or something like that, it really just is seeing seeing that glazed look on their face or that that moment where, you know, they're trying to find connection. And then I sit down and be like, okay, so what's happening in this moment right now? And it's not me necessarily to tell them what to do. It's just by that point, it's really just for them. It's it's also instinct that wants to take over. They that that person wants to be involved. That's why they're there in the room. That's why they want like. That's that's why they've arranged so that they can be there. And so really it is just empowering them and being like, okay, we've talked about this. What do you want to do? What do you think your partner needs right now? And making sure that those two things are in line. And I mean, there's been a ton of research done about this is that like since very much we've, you know, medicalized birth in a way that is like, it's a black box women go in and, you know, one person goes in and two people come out or three people come out or four people come out, depending on, on, on where you are. Um, that it is, that's two people come out and a family comes out, hmm. you know, two people go in, family comes out. And that's just, that's just making sure that you're doing what you wanted to do. And that when your partner needs you to, to engage in those critical moments that you're there and ready. And if you need a, a, a little bit of a nudge, I'm there to help you. We knew that uh, these questions were going to be coming. We were kind of chuckling about it, as a matter of fact, and I know that you'll welcome them <laughs> but on, our, on our live chat. We got people uh, like Kimmy says, I'm definitely interested in this, but I do feel like the focus should be on the other partner, but I'm keeping an open mind through this conversation. I love that, Kimmy. That's great feedback. Kim says, 
because hetero men need more attention while their wives are giving birth. Kim says, I'm a little confused. Um, People will believe probably and for obvious reasons. And if I had to pick a side, I might align with them just for my own personal safety, that the person that's doing all the work on on delivery day uh, is the one that needs all all the support. So how do you respond to people that say, really, like this guy's rolling in with his own doula? Like, you know, what do you say to the objectors? What I say to the objectors is um, this is, you know, this is one of those things where um, the attention is the attention is not on the hetero man at at all in that sense. It very much is the hetero man wants to pay attention there. It's just me being the coach to say, you go and do it. Yeah. But can I also jump in and ask, like the show's called Real Talk. Does it matter if the man is hetero? Not every man is hetero. We have friends that have donated. Like like, it's completely, the word is irrelevant. It supercharges the question, but I'm going to say that I think that the word is is irrelevant. Yes. And it really just is that that the person who is not doing the birthing work has a role and has a job to play in that room if that couple or if that family wants it to be. My job is to make sure that that person feels empowered to do that. It's not about paying attention to that person. And really, if I'm the only person in the room, I will be making sure that, that both parties, as much as they feel comfortable, are feeling empowered, safe, and secure. I mean, birth is still one of those places that, that feels very um, sometimes often like, like cave-like to me, you know, the nesting period, the, the preparation for it, but the birthing partner is doing all of that. The non-birthing partner is like, I have no connection to this child up until the child comes out and all of a sudden it's like, here you go. And, mm-hmm. and you, need to, you need to build that over time so that you're ready for it when it comes. And I can say, because I've been part of these conversations with friends of mine, and I'm pretty sure we're not outliers or we're not alone on it. Um, for a lot of parents... Uh, in particular, I think dads or the non-birthing partners, uh, there's a sense that kind of the baby doesn't even and I mean, not technically, I don't really mean this, but that you kind of feel a little bit irrelevant in a way for a number of months. Uh, you know, you do your best to be a support and everything. Obviously, you better. Um, but, you know, there's there's kind of uh, there's this immediate connection. Right. Yes. And, and and then as as somewhat what can feel like the outsider that connection i mean obviously you love your child like mad um but uh it it can it develop a little bit more over time i've heard a lot of my buddies say that that's a real thing it definitely is and like that it's something that's so important like you don't have 10 months of of growing something inside you to to get ready it's it's the moment happens the baby comes out and it's like okay so so now instant connection okay now now be a father especially the first time around you're like i have no idea what to do the second time, you're like, I have no idea what to do because I got I got one kid who's crying on this side, and I got the other one who's crying on this side. Which one do I prioritize? And, and and my partner, the birthing partner, needs me. So how do I prioritize things? How do I make sure that all, all of these things work without going um, crazy? Like having a little bit of a of, of a moment, and and in in those moments where everyone is 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 needing time, attention, affection, that needs you to be present. You need to be make sure that you're empowered to be in that moment and to be present, whether that's at the birth, whether that's afterwards, knowing what to do. Because when you're when the birthing partner is in that space and they need safety and security and they just need to be sort of 
I, I use this word very gently, but just to be a sort of in that, in that primal instinct of birth where they're kind of, you know, phasing out and they need to be in a completely different space. It's your job to make sure that everything else that's around the room that is non-medical gets taken care of. Like I'm not a midwife. I'm not an OB. I'm not going to get involved in any of the medical stuff. I'm going to get involved in emotional support in mental support to make sure that that non-birthing partners in that moment so that the non-birthing partner can be not in that moment, but doing what they need to do to, to make sure that this baby comes out in the way that it needs to. Yeah. Genevieve says I had a doula and a midwife, I think for a partner that needs an outside support, non-family, non-judgmental, this would be really great. Um, some people say that they're torn on this. That's fine. And you always have the right, you like, then don't hire a doula. <laughs> if you're torn on it, that's kind of <laughs> like, that's kind of how I feel about it, to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, Lala Zaz says, I've had babies. Believe me, I was perfectly capable of telling the soon to be dad exactly what to do and exactly what not to do. Um, others are wondering about how you're training, you know, and how you get ready for this, how you get into the field. Tracy says, um, you know, the, the intro made it sound like you just decided to do this and felt your calling so you did what does the training look like how do you prepare to to do this so the training is actually um first yeah it's it's quite extensive for what uh to become a doula so i mean i suppose anybody can go out there and say well i'm i'm a i'm, I'm supporting you know i'm a birth worker i like to support work but to be a doula um requires for me in terms of like certification so i've been um being mentored under um the person who leaves the Full Circle Birth Collective, which is uh, someone who's been on, on the show before, Sonia Duffy. Um, Sonia Duffy, say, and um, she is incredible. She's had 25 years of experience. She's done over a thousand births that she's attended personally. She's a, she was actually trained as a midwife, um, but because of Alberta in, in those days, um, ended up becoming a doula instead. Um, and yeah, so I, I mentor under her. I've taken, um, there's a whole set of courses and an inquiry certification process that needs to be done. There's a few certification agencies that are there, but uh, being a doula and being a certified doula, uh, and I'm just a, a student in that sense right now, I have I have a few things that I need to get done. I have an exam to write. I've got uh, to get my number of births under my belt, but to become a certified doula is, is a journey that is not something that I can just turn around and do in a month. Yeah. It is something that requires a lot of time, a lot of effort. They leave you a couple of years to get it done. And um, it is, it is a process. And so it's not just something I could turn around and say, I want to do this tomorrow. So I'm just going to do it. It does require some work. And so while this has been announced in the last, uh, you know, five or six weeks, um, I took my courses um, last year in the summer, and I've kind of been working, working, working up until this moment to a point where I can be comfortable to say, I'm, I'm ready now. I'm ready to be coaching people. So I'm actually also taking some coaching courses as well, because I'm, I'm coaching dads and non-birthing partners through all of this and to set things up so that it's the most ideal for people in Alberta and across the country is something that's taken a lot of time to think about, but it's something that, um, you know, has been in play for over, over a year now in, if more formally, but yeah. informally um, over the last three years. It's cool. You're following your calling. I think it's great. Like I'm, I'm guessing that business analyst, I don't know anything about your prior career, but you're probably pretty stable, probably making a pretty good living. Like everything's comfortable. Uh, you know, it takes guts to do something like this and it's neat. And it's like, I love stories of people that just decide to follow their calling. 
um, without guarantees. And I, I, people that are most people will listen to this on a podcast. They can't see that you got a big smile on your face right now. But but um, what did your former business colleagues think of this? What the, the, your fellow business analysts are they are they still wrapping their minds around it? Um. I know I'll be fairly honest. It, there's, there's very much a mixed bag about this. There's some people who are like, I don't know, like, is it, is this something, is it, is this something that's real? Is this something that, uh, you know, I, I had my buddy of mine in, in Toronto who recently had a baby. He's like, but my experience was so different. Like we didn't need any of that stuff. Pandemic baby, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, this is not for everyone. It's not something that, you know, nobody really thinks about this. Like a lot of people don't think about doulas in general. That's changing right now. I can see that changing in terms of the number of clients that are coming in the door and also just generally what's out there um, in terms of information, the fact that also, you know, we had uh, doulas here, you know, you know, um, a prenatal, like a, a postpartum and a, and a end of life doula on, um, you know, a few months ago. And now to, to shift gears here a little bit and kind of take it into a, a new and emerging market. Yeah. There's nobody that does this and nobody, not everyone's going to get it. And then there's this other population. It's like, man, I wish that I had that. I wish that there was somebody there who just walked me through it, who was just a support, who, you know, was there that I could call at 11 o'clock at night and my wife is trying to sleep and, and I'm, I'm holding my baby and I'm just so frustrated because of so many different things that I haven't had time to process and I don't have time to process all this stuff. And I got no one to talk to. I wish you were there at that point in time. Like I, I, I got a phone with my really good friend yesterday. He's like, I'm so excited for you. This is going to be so great. You know, um, and and I I just I just I just wish so much. There's so much some, sometimes regret from from the non-birthing partner that they just they weren't there in that moment. And I just want to shift that. I just want to shift it so that when you look back at it, it's not something that you you don't like, and then something that you regret or there's harm being caused as from the non-birthing partner or even from the birthing partner. Because how many times in those first two to five years of your kid's life do you recount the, the birthing story? to everybody who's around you. And if every single time that is, it's it goes from being a kind of neutral or f to a negative place where you're almost re-traumatizing yourself by trying to tell the story in a way that, you know, doesn't make your, your the non-birthing partner look like they weren't in the room or they weren't present or they, they, they made did harm to something that's positive and said, wow, this was an amazing experience for both of us. We ended up coming out and, and stronger. That it's so powerful and it's life changing for people. Yeah. Well, I think it's super cool, and um, I'm, I know that you've still got some ground to cover with regards to, you know, I mean, building up this career. Um, and, and I would imagine that the, the more resources are available, the more that people will tap into them. And, and it's a really neat position, as if you don't know this already, that you have within that family dynamic. Super cool stuff. People can check out fullcirclebirthcollective.com uh, if they want to learn more. Uh, if you're listening to what Alikan Sumar is saying and you're intrigued by it, you'd like to learn more about those services and the availability of doulas or what that relationship looks like or even doula training. Uh, check out the website. And uh, thanks for making time for us on Real Talk today. We love this type of stuff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. That's a cool conversation. That, that's a neat calling. And uh, <laughs> some people, it's it's fine if you got no use for something. I, there's a lot of things I've got no use for and I think are, you know, not a good fit for me. And, and some things I go, wow, that could be pretty interesting stuff. I think that this might be a fit for some families. I always think when we do uh, um, and we'll talk to check in with Sarah Hoyles in just a second. When we have conversations like this, I often wonder like this interview might land with one person somebody that's out like walking their dog or they're on a road trip they're listening to the pod they're out for a jog and all of a sudden this 
interview that they hear might actually kind of in a way you might roll your eyes, but I mean it because we get emails that are like this. It'll change the course of their life. Right. It'll be something different for them. And and, and whether that's a, a calling that they pursue or whether it's hiring someone like Ali Khan or whatever the case is, um, that's not lost on us that you, you never know who's going to hear this when they need to hear it. The story of personal transformation in the career journey is an interesting one. Kind of tease this up nicely. Wanted to let you know about this new AI ethics, the artificial intelligence ethics micro credential through Power Ed at Athabasca University. You can check it out at powered.athabascau.ca. The certificate is open for registration right now with immediate access, AI ethics and introduction, and then AI ethics and data. You know, we've all seen the headlines about unethical chat bots, right? I mean, maybe more now than ever, controversial uses of facial recognition software, misinformation on social media, and of course, discriminatory algorithms. You remember that interview that we had right here on Real Talk a few months ago about that? These aren't edge cases. Uh, AI is increasingly a part of these systems, and it's raising the stakes on the need to implement ethical practices in the deployment, the development of technology. If this is floating your boat, if you're intrigued, uh, don't delay. Check out today, powered.athabascau.ca. Everybody's talking about power bills, natural gas bills right now, right? I mean, you take a look at even what people want to hear or see in the budget in Alberta coming up on Thursday. They want relief from these high utility prices. Premier says they're coming. We'll see what that looks like. Park Power has been here on this show the whole time, reminding you about their fixed rates at parkpower.ca. It's it's time to get off that regulated rate option. They call it the RRO. It's that variable style rate. And of course, it's fluctuating right now around double the cost of the fixed rates that Park Power offers. Today is a great day to go to parkpower.ca, compare their rates on internet, electricity, and natural gas. And by the way, if you bundle them together, the utility bundles, uh, when you bring them on to provide two or three of their services, they offer savings on admin fees. So there's that. And then there's the promo code 2022-REALTALK, which gets you $70 off your first bill. 2022-REALTALK, 70 bucks off your first power bill at parkpower.ca. I told you yesterday about St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge and go on their website sometimes just out of personal interest to check out what they've got in stock. You can use that handy search tool right there on the homepage. Check out all years, all makes, all models, even a maximum price. Maybe you've got a budget in mind. You're looking to upgrade maybe your SUV. Maybe you're even looking ahead to the summer. What are you going to use to get out and pull that trailer or get the family out camping? It's a great day to browse the new and used inventory at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. You can link to their dealerships under the Sponsors tab on our website. And our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want me to let you know that they've got a brand new burger menu out with some huge highlights. If you're feeling that hunger today and you're anywhere near the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, why not check out their signature stack burgers? The Bacon Chew Two Cheese Deluxe, the original cheeseburger. That's the classic DQ burger. Their Loaded Steakhouse Burger, the Mushroom Cheeseburger, and of course, the Single, Double, or Triple Flamethrower. It's just fun to say, even funner to eat. At the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, when you rip through that drive-thru or when you're at the counter picking up your order, you let them know that Real Talk sent you to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. 
Sarah Hoyles, the editorial producer of this show, uh, checking in from her home studio where all the magic happens. Uh, what a fast! <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> right? I mean, this is where the show comes together, Hoyles. Let's not make true. you know, you know, Sam and I. You know, we we whip up a couple of margaritas, we put our feet up at the end of the day, and then you just go to work. So <laughs> people can't even hear the blender during the show. We keep our microphones muted. But uh, <laughs> that conversation with Alicat that was fascinating. Uh, you saw the one. You saw the 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 pushback coming from a mile away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, come on. This person is carrying a human being inside of them for nine months and then they have to deliver them. Yeah. <laughs> um, either through C-section or natural birth. And we're worried about th- this person over here. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is the evolution of it, though. Right. With with more and more resources. Um, I think so. But I personally, I. I mean, as an aunt, I remember being able to hold my very first, the very first grandchild Mm. and being like, I'm going to drop him. (laughs) I don't like, I don't want to hold him. I was terrified I was going to drop him and I'm the auntie. So I, I just think about, you know, what kind of seismic change a delivery of a child is in a family's life and being able to prepare each family member so they can, you know, be there and show up, like whether that means, you know, rubbing the back or just like hearing the other person out. I don't know. I, to me, I'm kind of like no harm, no foul. Like yeah. if there's some more support, heck yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. I think it's really neat. I don't know. I like, I was trying to figure out, is that a fit for me? Um, mm. Like, like would that be, and this is no offense to him and I know he wouldn't take offense to it, but sometimes I appreciate the counsel and I'd appreciate the guidance. And then sometimes I just kind of want people to leave me alone so I can be in my zone, <laughs> you know, just and, leave if, me alone. and if I'm in my zone and then somebody's trying to get in my zone, then I don't love it. So I don't know. The whole time I was thinking, I don't know how I would, I don't know if this would be a fit for me, but we'll see. But we're talking about this. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of supports that, you know, and people mm. that have more experience are going to be rolling their eyes. Like I'm just hearing about this now, but you know, there's like the doula or the midwife and and like you can you know obviously be in the hospital like loaded up with their like give me all the drugs shoot it right into my spine give me all the drugs and then and then some people are like are we talking about the the birthing person yeah i'm not i'm not talking <laughs> and then there's people that are like i'm just gonna chew on a stick like old school style and just push it out i don't want the drugs i'm gonna do it at home people have home births people have the the, the pools set up in their home I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to do it and then after the the arrival of the the little cherub, uh, you know, there's like night doulas and night nurses and all different kinds of supports that that some people you know would integrate into their routine to make sure that it's a little bit easier for everybody. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's no right way to do it. The right way to do it is what's right for you, right? Mm-hmm. I should see if I could say right in a sentence more than that. The right way to do it is the right way that's right for you, right? Uh, Hoyles. Do we want to go kind of like bummer right now and talk about the the accountability for the Ottawa occupation or do we want to do the good news? Let's do bad news, good news, or maybe it's good news on both fronts, depending on your perspective. But we'll talk about uh, pay for the U.S. women's soccer team in just a second. Uh, but yesterday we saw a couple of uh, faces that are becoming, I think, a little bit more familiar to Canadians. They're quite familiar to some Patrick King and Tamara Lich. Uh, and I never know if I'm pronouncing your last name right, but but appearing in, in front of judges yesterday. These are the organizers, essentially, of this convoy. And uh, those that were that were at least some of the more prominent ones involved in this occupation. And uh, it's getting pretty serious for them right now. 
Yeah, I would, I would like to refer to them as infamous. They are infamous. infamous yes. Um, Patrick King, one of the key organizers, he's actually uh, he's going to remain in custody until Friday when a judge will decide if he will be released on bail. In the meantime, a woman in Alberta has said that she she's only known him for four weeks and she's offering the surety of half the value of her home in Alberta to guarantee his bail. It's a bad idea. I just, this feels like someone writing to somebody in jail. Like, I fell in love with him. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Patrick King is uh, faces I, charges of mischief, counseling to commit mischief, counseling to commit the offense of disobeying a court order, and counseling to obstruct police. Are those even, so I wait, don't know, this is a serious question. Are those even serious charges? They are serious, Sam? You're saying? Yeah, oh, mischief? yeah. You, you can get a life sentence for mischief. I think one of what? the biggest things that I've learned in the last week, like hearing the court proceedings and the, and the charges and the, and the police proceedings play out here is like mischief is not, you know, teenagers painting dumpsters. It's okay. like mischief is a serious charge that can land you a life sentence. I had no idea. Like I sort of feels like mischief is like, <laughs> no, like no, ah! dessert, no dessert for you. Like, you've been causing mischief you 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 mischievous mischief maker no dessert for you today okay so it's serious and then uh tamara lich uh lick lich uh denied bail by an ontario court judge uh saying they believe there was substantial likelihood she would reoffend if released this is i'm not yeah. try, i'm not trying to work too hard to draw lines between stories but the court's conviction um, or a conviction is an interesting word to use in that context. Let me say the court's gut instinct, the court's belief, the, the judge's belief that these people are likely to reoffend in a way bolsters the case for the Emergencies Act, doesn't it? Mm. If there's belief that these people are going to reoffend, in other words, occupy again, convoy again, block borders again. Uh, isn't that justification in a way or an argument to keep the emergencies act in place? Kind of strikes at me as that. I, mean, I know that I'm wading into a combustible zone here, but that's the way it strikes me. Well, depending on who you are, like yeah. in our, in the panel discussion yesterday saying like, where is Justin Trudeau? Yeah. Um, the fact being that, you know, what has happened, what has transpired, there hasn't been a lot of, uh, guidance from the provincial government with where the jurisdiction is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, can I say, though, I, I tweeted, um, I don't know what it was a couple of weeks ago, and I basically said that there's I don't remember exactly what I said, but something along the lines of like there's been a lack of leadership across the board. I said, perhaps most notably, the prime minister, where is he? And people were saying, like, what do you not understand about jurisdictions? What do you not understand about the, you know, the, the provinces? And I'm going, I'm not I'm not talking about Justin Trudeau. Uh, trying to overstep or or misunderstand how the structure of government works and the roles of different governments and scenarios. But I'm saying if you looked at, for example, you know, Washington, D.C. under siege or any other world, like I'm talking about a nation's capital, any other country in the world that is occupied with honking of horns and people furious and thousands of like there would at least be a statement like we, you know, the the news stations would cut in like live from the Oval Office. Here's the president who would urge calm and talk about the conversation. You know, earlier today I spoke with Governor whomever, or I spoke with the senators from whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, that was when I was saying, "Where's the prime minister?" And, and people are going, "He had COVID," and and these are all you know valid and true observations that are probably relevant. Um, I don't know if he was on his deathbed or not, or how sick he was with COVID. Who knows? Um, perhaps that's relevant, but I was expecting at least something saying like, like 
you know, where we live, you know, where parliament sits, where we do business, where this nation is governed is under siege and to urge calm and to speak to the demonstrators and to talk about a phone call he had with Doug Ford and with Mayor Jim Watson. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what I was saying. Where is he? Like, where's his face? Where's it? Where's it? A video on Twitter. Where's something to make some comment? And ultimately he did. He stood in the House of Commons and he made a speech after quite some time. But I think when you ask where is the prime minister, that's at least what I was saying. Um, But certainly, I think there's a fair share of blame to go around. And a big part of it, like AJ's email earlier today, I really liked it. Talking about Doug Ford saying, like, where was he through all of this? And and for, for for the most part, he's been relatively invisible. Well, I think that's the that's the point. The inaction by the provinces forced the hand of the federal government. And like, am I a Trudeau fan? Absolutely not. Do I think that the Emergencies Act should have been put in place? No. But I think the inaction of the provincial government made the federal government have to do something. It's It was getting very, very, very dangerous. And so to me, like, where is Trudeau? I feel like he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. Yeah, that's a fair point. Jillian says, he, I truly despair that folks are blaming the PM for this. The folks who hate the guy ask the most of him. It's unreal. I mean, starting with Jason Kenney, right? <laughs> Jason Kenney's always like, you know, Justin Trudeau's overstepping, you know, get rid of the Emergencies Act. And then it's revealed that Jason Kenney appealed to Ottawa to give him a bunch of heavy equipment and people <laughs> to operate the heavy equipment to clear up the border. It's like, well, do you want him to step in or do you not? I guess yeah. what we're realizing here is that just everybody a bunch of hypocrites and all of this is politicking and it's really just a big nightmare for the average person and i would say like when everyone's like canada's divided canada is not divided it's not i'm sorry there is a very vocal honky tonky (laughs) minority who's you know blaring their horns and throwing tantrums that's not that is a very vocal and dramatic minority but the majority of Canadians believe in vaccines. The majority yeah. of Canadians are vaccinated. So I just, yeah. I just do not believe this whole Canada's divided thing. And I, I think it's just, it, it parallels really nicely with what's being talked about with Russia and what we heard about earlier today, the idea that Russia is not a superpower. Stop buying into these garbage narratives. They're total bunk. They are tomfoolery. They are balderdash. Balderdash. Malarkey, if you want to get Malarkey, a little more political. Yeah! <laughs> Kimberly says, I gave the prime minister slack the first week. The second week, he was MIA, and it was disappointing from a leadership perspective. Um, Joe says Trudeau was set up, period. And Troy says the prime minister played it perfectly, in my opinion. He says he knew all the ugliness would be exposed, uh, given enough time and sunlight, and he gave the conservatives and the convoy enough rope to hang themselves. Maybe that was the strategy. Maybe that wasn't. It, it seemed like you had something to say on this, Sam. I, I have a lot to say on this. Um, <laughs> I think, okay, I, I want to highlight a couple points. One of the ones is like when we talk about the need for the Emergencies Act or not the need for the Emergencies Act, some of the things that have come out in the reporting is uh, police jurisdiction, right? You know, Coots and Windsor were very different scenarios because they were border blockades and they essentially it was, you know, it boiled down to there was a road with one way in and one way out. Yeah. And that was where the log jam was. And there's space on the sides of it for authorities to move in and do that. Ottawa downtown is a narrow street, dense 
populated area. And uh, did the government get flat footed, caught flat footed? Absolutely, they did. They were Police not prepared did too. for this. Police did too. Hundred percent. And you know, one of the things that sort of slipped out a lot is they were talking about like when they brought in additional police forces to be able to have jurisdiction to help enforce it in Ottawa they would have all had to be sworn in as Ottawa police officers. The Emergencies Act removed the need to do that. Any police officer in Canada could now come and serve as part of this effort. So I think that like that's one of the things to find out. Is like, I think the Emergencies Act is colored by a couple things. One, just this very sort of heavy-handedness to it. But I, like the other thing I'd really like to float here too is had our prime minister not been named Trudeau and had his dad not used... The War, the Measures, War Measures Act, Act yeah. and the FLQ crisis, would we be having the same conversation? Yeah, maybe. I think maybe he's wearing that legacy a lot in this case. Yeah. And also, I mean, you talk and, and there's so much like you said, I mean, you're covering just the general main points here. There's also I mean, what's not lost on anybody is, yeah, there was a bunch of trucks in downtown Ottawa. But can you imagine any other protest where hundreds of people are bringing in 20 liter jerry cans of fuel? Can you imagine? Yeah. Like it just doesn't even, you know, and then the coots thing with all the guns. I was I. I it's no. a it's a playbook we haven't seen before yeah and certain people like Hoyles pointed out yesterday would get away with it and certain people wouldn't Sarah let's focus on something positive and uh, can, this I, is, can I just sure, interject yeah. for one minute <laughs> the idea this is that gonna be a three-hour show yeah no, like, I'll make it really quick I promise no it's fine it's um, fine <laughs> so the idea like this is something that we've never seen before well now people are getting inspiration from what's happening in Canada and there's actually a convoy happening planned kind of coming together in the states they're calling it the people's convoy so we wait to see they plan to descend on dc in early march and uh, yeah and by the way i see that they're set to arrive march 6th like pick any other day of the month but the 6th to roll into dc with a bunch of big rigs and look to stir things up right i mean like january 6th is, is it goes down people talk about pearl harbor 9 11 january 6th right um so we'll see how that goes uh the american women's soccer team Woo-woo. they're getting paid What's going on here? Bring it, bring us up to speed on this. A lot of people have, 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 of course, for a long time advocated for this type of thing, and it, and it looks like it's happening. So $24 million will be going to the U.S. women's soccer team. So that's to basically bump them up and to get them where they should be. They had to and sue they, for this, right? That, that, oh, absolutely, they sure did. Yeah. Um, and it's been ongoing. It's a six-year legal battle to make this thing happen. And now moving forward, equal pay across the board, men's and women's teams for all of their competitions. So it's about time. I mean, when you look at what the women's soccer team has done, they're doing a heck of a lot better than the men's. <laughs> uh, for, for both nations. Uh, exactly. Canada, Canada, and the Canada and the U.S. And one of the things, too, is that uh, I see here that their benefits, uh, not their benefits, rather, but the bonuses uh, matching the men's team as well is especially relevant. Like you said, I mean, the women's soccer team is is a perennial contender, right? And so these bonuses, that's great news for them. Uh, good stuff, Hoyles. And, uh, of course, we got another good show coming up to Tomorrow, I'm going to share those details in just a second. Before I do, let me remind you about our partnership with Kubi Energy. So I was talking to this. There's a bit of overlap here. Uh, Chris, the CEO at Park Power, says to me, hey, when you're when you're mentioning Kubi Energy, he says, make sure you let everybody know that once they get their solar panels installed by Kubi's Tesla certified journeyman or apprentice installers, they should check out Park Power's solar club rates. There's different rates for their solar club. I love how this works together. Kubi is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. 
across Western Canada, based out of Alberta and BC. Uh, they can work on, I mean, they're doing agricultural work. They're doing super clean, beautiful residential work and then huge commercial and industrial projects as well. Make sure you check out their blog on their website. All kinds of cool stories and you know information on the Canada Greener Homes Grant and the Clean Energy Improvement Programs. These are all initiatives that can make your solar plan a whole lot more affordable and it can happen a whole lot more quickly. You can get a free quote today online at kubienergy.ca. And a quick note before we wrap today at ryanjesperson.com on our website, if you check out the connect link, that's how you can take part, participate in our get real question of the week presented by our research and strategy partners at Y Station. Uh, the last three and a half weeks or so in Canadian life have been something to behold for sure. We were just talking about a couple of those stories, developments that maybe we never saw happening on our side of the border. Uh, as protests have ramped up, people are digging in. They say they're not going anywhere. We want your personal take on these moments to review on a future show. You can take part in our question of the week right now at ryanjesperson.com. Now, we mentioned to you tomorrow, I'm looking forward to catching up with Ayla Brooke. His band, Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen, this is them. You're hearing right now a new documentary coming out, talking about their COVID experience, having just released a new album. Plus, mental health advocate Victoria Maxwell joins me and a roundtable on the Emergencies Act. It's going to be a must-watch show. We'll see you then, friends. Make it a great Wednesday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.